If you have a copy of the Bible, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 1. That's where we're going to be digging in this morning. Uh, if you don't have a copy of the text with you, it'll be on the screen for you momentarily when we read it together. But if you have a copy, go ahead and turn there because I'm going to keep pointing you back to it. Um, when my wife and I were first married uh, 13 years ago, uh, we had several wedding showers. And those of you who have um, gone through that special occasion of joining your life one to the other have had those kinds of showers where people give you stuff. And one of the things that people gave us during the midst of those, all those wedding showers that we participated in uh, were placemats. Anybody got those lovely gift of placemats during your wedding showers? And I just felt like some of those wedding showers, people like went online, wholesale distributors, and ordered like 18 sets of placemats. And every shower we went to, man, we were getting like the same placemats over and over again. Because you got to have placemats for every season of the year, don't you? For every time that the seasons change and the temperature falls or rises outside, you got to have a new set of placemats to put out on the table. But one of the sets of placemats that we received was a wedding gift from some very kind and generous families in the church that we were attending at the time. And a part of uh, were some Christmas placemats. And they, we've had those Christmas placemats for the last 13 years. And those Christmas placemats and table runner, are one of the table runners on our coffee table right now, and the placemats are on our table right now. But over the last 13 years, those placemats have gotten some use, right? So they've been in and out of the washing machine, and they've been in and out of the closets as we pull them out and get them ready for every Christmas whenever we set them out on the table. And the placemats are, um, you know, the traditional Christmas colors, green and red. There's some, a uh, little bit of uh, dark blue in there. Uh, they got candy canes on them. They've got wreaths on them, a little bit of mistletoe on them. They've got, uh, I don't remember what else. they got all kinds of stuff on those placemats. But one of the things that has written across the placemat is joy. Joy. And as I was looking at the placemats the other day, sitting there on our table, it dawned on me, because some of these placemats, right, some of them have gotten a little more use than others. Some of them have been through the washing machine a little more than others. The ones that sit at our, where our kids sit, Okay? Those get run through the washing machine frequently. The ones that sit on the places where we sit, not as much. Uh, but the ones where our kids sit have been run through the machine over and over and over again. And those have begun to be- lose a little bit of the vibrancy of their colors. You notice that? Some of the fabrics that you might wash over the course of time as they get used and washed and used and washed. is so the vibrancy of those fabrics, of those colors, begins to fade over time. So the other day, I'm looking at the placemats sitting there on our table, and it, and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Man, some of these placemats are incredibly vibrant. The colors are still rich and deep, but others are faded pretty significantly. And I have a feeling that the placemats that sit on the table of our home that indicate the joy of this season that we are celebrating tell the story of some of our lives in here today based on this past year of what we've encountered, or this past year of what we've endured. For some of you, your joy is incredibly vibrant, it's incredibly rich, and it's incredibly deep. And so when you sing joy to the world, the Lord has come. You're rejoicing, you're celebrating. Whenever you sing rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, for he's come to you, O Israel. There's a deep sense of joy that rises up in your heart because there's a vibrant joy. But for some of us, that joy is a little bit faded, isn't it? Kind of like those placemats sitting on my table that have gotten worn very well. It's a little bit faded, a little bit ragged. Maybe there's threads that are ripping a little bit and tearing at the edges because of the use. And for some of us, our joy is incredibly vibrant and rich and deep. And some of us, it's faded. And it really kind of lacks the luster that it once had. So my hope this morning is that as we dig into the text together, that I want us to look at the root of this joy that is promised to us in Jesus, where it comes from, 
Because we sing about it this time of the year, don't we? And you hear songs on the radio about it this time of the year, don't you? But for some of you, the occasions and circumstances and situations in this season of your life have caused that joy to be faded and tarnished to some degree. And so my hope and my prayer is that as we see the root of it and the reasons for it is that whenever we walk out of here, as we walk out of here, it would either, it would do one of two things. Either it would awaken a joy within us that has been dormant for some time that has been faded for some time, that has been tarnished for some time. It would awaken the richness and vibrancy of it or the joy that already exists, that's already vibrant and colorful in your life, that it would be amplified, either awakened or amplified. One of those two things is I'm hoping would be the result of our time in God's word together this morning. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, you can go ahead and turn to Luke 1. We're going to read the same text that um, um, Robert and Mandy read for us earlier today because that's where we're going to be digging in today. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 46, down through verse 55. It's a song that Mary sings upon the occasion of her receiving news from the angel that she's going to give birth to a child who would be the son of the Most High. And upon reception of that news, she burst out into song. Let's listen to what she sings in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Now, if you notice in the text, several things really stood out to me the last couple of weeks as I've reflected upon Mary's song that she sings after receiving this news. There's a root of joy that you can see peppered throughout the text, and that's where we want to start this morning. Where does this joy that Mary's singing come from? Where does it come from? Because she's singing. I want you to notice something this morning. She's singing a praise to God out of a heart that is overflowing with joy in spite of every contraindicator of human fleshly perspective possible, right? She got this song of joy that rises up within her when everything else around her seems like she should be, be crushed under the weight of her circumstances, but she's singing for joy. Where does it come from? Joy, this kind of joy that Mary's singing with is rooted, it's rooted deeply in faith. It's rooted deeply in a faith that believes God in spite of every circumstance and every indicator contrary based on the human fleshly perspective that she might view her circumstances through. It's a joy that is rooted in faith. That's where it comes from. I want you to look at the text with me, kind of the context out of which this song arises. If you go back up into verses 26 through 38, what you're going to find there, or verses 26 through 45, you're going to find the context out of which this song emerges for Mary. And the context that she's singing out of is this. Here she is, kind of minding her own business when Gabriel, this angel, shows up and says, listen, Mary, I'm bringing you good news. I'm bringing you news that you're going to give birth to a son, that you're going to conceive by the Holy Spirit, and that you're going to bear this child who is going to be the son of the Most High. God has favored you, Mary. He has come to you, Mary. He has blessed you, Mary. And Mary goes, all right. Right? 
Let it be done unto me as you say. And then she, she says, and, and then the angel says this, even, even goes so far as to say, listen, there's going to be a sign for you. How, how are you going to know this is what's going on in your room? That's what's growing there. And, and, and what does the angel say to Mary? Your relative Elizabeth, who is now old in age, right, well past her childbearing years, is now going to conceive and give birth to a child. And so as soon as Mary hears all this news from the angel, she picks up and she moves to visit Elizabeth. And whenever she shows up on Elizabeth's doorstep and they greet each other, Elizabeth says, at the moment that you greeted me, this child in my womb, he leapt. He started kicking and punching and beating and doing calisthenics and CrossFit and all kinds of stuff in my womb. He's going nuts in there. And Mary, Mary in that moment erupts into song. She begins to sing out of this overflow of joy in her life that's rooted deep, deep in faith. Faith in what, though? Faith in this news that the angel had brought her, in spite of every other indication to the contrary. Consider Mary's circumstances, right? Here she is, a young girl, probably mid-teens in her culture, And the angel shows up and says, Mary, you're going to conceive from the Holy Spirit. You're betrothed to this guy named Joseph. And you guys hadn't done anything that would have caused this baby to begin to grow in your room. But the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you. And you're going to conceive this child who will be the son of the Most High. And so now she's got to go out and tell all her friends and all her family as her belly starts to grow. Because things happen, right, when you get pregnant. And you can't hide it forever. And so now she's telling all her friends and family, yeah, the Holy Spirit did this. Really? Right, Joseph, Joseph finds out this news, and he's like thinking, man, I, I got to figure out a way to deal with this. It's going to tarnish my reputation. It's going to tarnish the reputation of my family. So he's thinking about divorcing her and setting her aside, even though they were not officially married yet. They were betrothed to each other. It was a much more official process in that culture than it is in our culture. So he's thinking about putting her away quietly. He's, her fiance is thinking about leaving her because of this news that she's received. And here she is rejoicing. And in fact, if she goes on to maintain her virginity in the face of this baby growing in her womb, you go back into Deuteronomy chapter 20, and the law calls for her to be put to death. She's lying about her virginity. She's got a baby growing in her belly. That doesn't add up in the culture in which she lived. So she at least would have been ostracized by her community, perhaps even put to death. Her fiancé wants to abandon her, and here she is singing praise to God. What about you? Are, you any circum, are your circumstances this year any worse than where Mary was? Are they any worse? See, her joy is rooted in a deep faith because you notice as the text goes on, it's peppered with this language of he has, he has, he has, he has. And every time that language shows up in the text, it's Mary looking forward with the eyes of faith to say, what is coming through this baby that's growing in my womb is so miraculous and so phenomenal. That, and, and I believe with, with such certainty that I'm going to speak about what has happened or what will happen in the future as if it's happened in the past. In fact, in the Greek text of Luke chapter 1, in this song that Mary sings, the verbs that she uses there, she talks about what God has done. None of this stuff is what's come to pass as of yet because the child hasn't been born. 
But the Greek verbs are an aorist tense verb, and an aorist tense verb, we're going to get a little grammar lesson this morning. The aorist tense verb, right, it, can all, it refers most often to past tense action. That's something that's happened in the past, but there's a particular usage of the aorist verb that is a, called a prophetic aorist. In other words, it's looking forward to the future with such certainty and expectation that it speaks of things that have not yet happened as if they already have, and that's what Mary's doing. See, her, her, this joy that's overflowing in her heart is rooted deep in a faith that what God has pledged and promised to her is going to come to pass no matter what it looks like today. That's the root of Mary's joy. That's where it's coming from in the midst of all the circumstances that she finds to the contrary of her rejoicing. So you and I, you and I, we're in her shoes. Well, I, if I'm in her shoes, I hope you're more spiritual than I am. I, if I'm in her shoes, man, I'm not singing a hymn of praise. I'm, I'm crying out in a psalm of lament. God, why? Why would you do this to me? And yet here she is with her heart overflowing with joy. Overflowing with joy. It's rooted deep in faith. What about you? In the midst of this season, Some of you, your joy has faded. It's been tarnished. It has been weathered this year, right? It's no longer those pretty cedar boards they put up when they first built your fence, but now it's gray. It's no longer that pretty golden color when you first got the ring, but now it's been sitting out in the elements for years and years and years, and it's kind of tarnished. It's no longer the vibrant colors of that placemat but after it's been washed and worn and well beaten over the years, it's not as vibrant as it was, and it needs to be awakened this morning. And the only way it will be awakened in your life is if you look with eyes and a heart of such certainty of what God has done in the past and what he will do in the future as Mary. This joy that Mary has is rooted deep in a real faith. But faith in what? Right? It's a question of the hour, perhaps. Faith in what? I want to give you three things that Mary has faith in. That Mary has faith in that is causing this joy to bubble over and spew forth like old faithful, right? You know it's coming. It's building. It's mounting. It's rising up. But where is it coming from? A faith in what? Three things that Mary says that not only would cause her joy to overflow into this action of rejoicing, but it will cause yours as well if you will look at them with eyes of faith. And the first one is this. The first thing is this. In verses 48, 49, and 50, Mary says that his work, his work is what defines us. His work. When you notice what she says in the text, if you go back into Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 48, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty, who has done great things for me, and is holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Mary says, here I am, a humble, lowly teenage girl that God has looked upon with favor He's looked upon my humble estate, and from now on, generation after generation after generation after generation of people of faith will call me blessed. But why would they call her blessed? 
Is it because anything that Mary has done, anything that Mary has merited or warranted for herself? That's not what Mary thinks. And listen, there's a tradition within the history of the church that rises up and calls Mary blessed and venerates her and bows down to her and worships her. Because they say, we're just doing what Luke chapter one says we should do. We're calling her blessed and we're praying to her, hoping that she would intercede for us. And I think Mary, based on what she says in Luke chapter one, would look at that whole lineage and that whole tradition within that vein of the church and she would say, you're missed it and you're still missing it. Because notice what Mary says. She doesn't say, subsequent generations will rise up and call me blessed because I'm pretty special. I'm pretty good. I've done a lot of things that God should choose me. What does does she say? No, these subsequent generations will rise up and call me blessed. Why? For he, verse 49, who is mighty, has done great things for me. She says, the only reason future generations will rise up and call me blessed is because of what God has done, not because of what I have done. Because what God has done is what defines me, not what I have done. What God has done is the reason that my name will be remembered for subsequent generations, not because of any specialness about me or anything that I've done, but only because he who is mighty who has done great things, Mary says. Mary looks up and he says, what he has done defines who I am, not what I have done. And listen, some of you need to hear that this morning because some of you look back over the course of the last year and you go, man, I've blown it in significant ways, perhaps in a marriage, perhaps in a a job, perhaps with your kids. And you go, I've blown it. And because you see what you have done as the centerpiece and the defining mark of your life. You go, my joy is so faded and tattered and worn. But this morning, if you would look up and you would see that what God has done for you, he who is mighty has done great things. What he has done is what defines you. And that you would look at that through eyes of faith regardless of what everyone else is saying about you and how everyone else is treating you and what everyone else is doing. And you would look up and you would say with eyes of faith, with such certainty that what God has done defines me. You know what would happen? There would be a joy that would bubble up in your heart and in your soul. Regardless of your performance this year, regardless of how many things like you got to check off the list saying, I accomplished that, I achieved that, I, man, I got that done, right? No matter what that list looks like and how many check marks or pluses or minuses are out next to those things in the left-hand column, you could stand at this season of Advent at Christmas with great joy in your heart because you look back on your record and you go, my record is pretty bad. But his is really good. And what he has done defines me not what I've done. And as you reflect on that, it would cause joy to bubble up in your heart. As you say with Mary, he who is mighty has done great things for me. And that flows right into the second thing. You've got to believe 
like Mary believes, in order to have this kind of joy, in spite all indications to the contrary. And that's this, is that what God has done is he's flipped the script. Right? He's flipped the script. Now, what do I mean by that? See, the script that most of us are living in accordance with, kind of the storyline of our lives is this, is that if I have affluence and I have ability and I have aptitude, then God is pleased with me. God has favored me. God has blessed me. Right? If I know a lot and I can do a lot and I have a lot, then I'm blessed in the eyes of God. And so we equate blessing with aptitude and skill of, of thought and, and, and knowledge and information and IQ. Or we equate blessing with affluence and how much we possess and how much we own and how much we earn. Or we equate blessing with um, ability, the things that we're able to do and are able to accomplish by the work of our hands. We can actually make things happen. We say, God has blessed me because I have abilities and aptitude and affluence. But if you read what Mary says, that the script that God is writing over the course of human history is not that we should equate bless, the blessing of God with aptitude or affluence or abilities. Because notice what she says in the text, in the song that she sings in verses 51 to 53. She says this, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Mary says the typical script in our culture is that those that God has blessed rise in power and prestige and privilege because of their aptitude or abilities or affluence. But Mary says what God has done is that those who are self-sufficient and independent of him because of their aptitude and because of their abilities and because of their affluence, he has brought them down and he has sent them away. But those who are humble and servants and are hungry, he has filled and welcomed in. He's flipped the script. See, the script in Mary's culture was that those of prestige and privilege and prominence were those who were in with God and those who were without those things were those who were on the outs with God. But Mary says what God has done in the sending of this child who I now carrying in my womb and would give birth to is he's flipped that. He's turned the tables so that those who would trust in their affluence and trust in their prominence and trust in their privilege and think that because they have aptitude and abilities, they're, they're, they're on the top. The proud in the thoughts of their hearts that he would bring them down. And those who are humble, he would raise up. You know what that means? You know why that's good news that we can rejoice in? is because it, what that tells us is this. It tells us at least this. It tells us that you don't have to have it all together in order to be blessed by God, in order to rejoice in the blessing of God. In fact, what it tells us is if you think you have it all together, you will never rejoice. You will never rejoice truly in God. Only if you recognize you don't have it all together will you rejoice truly in God. And here's why. Because those who think they do have it all together, those with prominence and prestige and privilege and aptitude and abilities and affluence, those who think they have it all together, they're kind of padding their resume as their own savior. But those who are humble and servants and hungry and know they can't figure it out for themselves and know they can't buy their way into it and know that they don't have enough ability within their bones 
to climb the ladder up to God. They're not patting their resume as a savior, but they're crying out to him as one. There's a big difference between those two. And Mary says, even if you don't see it yet, right? Even if the culture that you live in doesn't work that way right now, you look forward with eyes of faith to say, that's, that's what's coming. That those who think they have it all together will be sent away. Those who know they don't have it all together will be welcomed in. He's flipped the script. And what he has done defines us, not what we're able to do. But thirdly, consider this as well. Not only does what he has done defines us, not only has he flipped the script, but finally, he has kept his word. He has kept his word. If you look in verses 54 to 55 of Luke chapter 1, it says this. Mary's rejoicing. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Mary says there's promises that God has made. There are pledges that God has made to our fathers and their fathers before them and their fathers before them, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And whenever Jesus is born onto the scene and comes into human history, it's after a period of 400 years of silence between Malachi and Matthew. Right? God had not raised up prophets in the land to come and deliver his word to his people between in that 400-year stretch. And so they're waiting, and they're waiting, and generation rises, and generation falls, and another generation comes on the scene, and they die and go to be with their fathers. 400 years, and then the silence is broken. Now imagine, imagine waiting as a people for 400 years waiting for God to fulfill his pledge, waiting for God to fulfill his promise, waiting for God to keep his word. Do you think there were some who might have grown weary? I would imagine so. Because see, all they can see is what's in the rear view. They're not looking, what's what's through the windshield doesn't look very clear to them, right? They're just looking through the rear view. They're going, well, this is what God has said. This is not what I'm seeing on the horizon. They're trying to reconcile those things. And yet Mary says, this child that is growing in my womb is evidence of God's faithfulness, that he's going to keep his pledge, he's going to keep his word, he's going to keep his promise. And Mary's got faith in that. Faith that whenever God said in Genesis 3.15 that he would raise, that the seed of the woman would eventually crush the head of the serpent, this is he who's growing in my belly. Or whenever God says uh, to his people in Genesis chapter 12, verse, verse 3, whenever he says to Abraham, he says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless the whole world through you. You're going to be a blessing to the nations and all the peoples of the earth that the child that's growing in a room would be that one who would bless them. Or whenever God says to Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 18 that he's going to raise up a prophet like Moses who's going to teach his people that this baby growing in her belly is that child, that prophet, that king who would rule on the throne of David, that man who would see to the woman who would crush the head of the serpent, that blessing for all the nations. It's Jesus, this baby in her womb. And with eyes of faith, Mary looks forward. These things haven't happened yet, right? No, the baby's still in there, hasn't been born. 
But with such certainty, she looks forward to the future and says, I know it's coming. I know it's coming. God is faithful to keep his word. He's flipped the script. Those who think they have it all together are going to be the ones who are sent away, while those who know they don't have it all together are going to be the ones who are welcomed in. Those who trust in their own abilities and works will be dismissed from the presence of God, while those who recognize that it's the finished work of Christ and Christ alone that saves will be received as sons and daughters. Because it's his work, not theirs, that defines them. And listen, if, if you would look with eyes of faith on these things that Mary's rejoicing in, it would begin to produce a tidal wave of joy in your life that would begin to slowly suck out the hopelessness and despair that you might feel. And recolor the placemat. And shine up the tarnish, remove the tarnish, right? Like a tidal wave of joy crashing on the ocean. With subsequent wave after wave after wave after wave. You ever been to the beach on a vacation and had a beach ball there, kind of sitting right down on the edge of the, of the water? Um, and as you sit there and you're kind of like playing with the ball and you forget about it, it sits there in the water for a little while. And then you're kind of maybe eating a snack up here on the beach, hanging out, you know, doing the whole cool thing, laying out, getting some sun, catching some rays. And all of a sudden you look up like an hour later and the beach ball is like 300 yards out in the water. <laughs> you ever noticed that before? So you're like, oh, that's a $2 beach ball. I think I'm gonna let it go. At least that's what I do, okay? No shark. All right, no beach ball is worth a shark, in my opinion. All right? So you let the beach ball go. But why does that beach ball get sucked out? Why? Because wave after wave comes up on the shore, pushes it up, and pulls it out. And slowly but surely, as it pushes it for a little bit further, it pulls it out a little bit further. And it pushes it up a little bit less and pulls it out a little bit further. And pushes it up a little bit less, pulls it out a little bit further. And wave after wave begins to eventually suck it out to where it's like a mile offshore eventually and floating in the currents of the ocean. How did it get there? One wave at a time. One wave at a time as it slowly pulled it out. And listen, if you, if you will set your minds, if you will set your hearts to think about, to think about these truths that Mary's rejoicing over, in the midst of the circumstances that you find yourself in, there will be wave after wave of joy that will slowly but surely begin to pull out the despair Remove the tarnish. Recolor the placemat. You'll begin to rejoice. Rejoice. Are you doing that this Christmas? Are you doing that? How do you do that? A couple of things I want to suggest to you. First of all, you got to think and you got to talk about Jesus. Now I go, wow, that's so profound, right? Hear me out. You got to think and you got to talk about Jesus. If you're rejoicing in something, right? Some of you, we rejoice in all kinds of things in our lives, don't we? Like one of our problems, fundamental flaws as human beings is that sometimes we're rejoicing in the wrong things, but we rejoice in all kinds of things. And when you rejoice in something, you talk about it, don't you? I remember the first, when we brought our son home from the hospital, first child, bring him home. What are we talking about to everybody that we see? That baby, why? Because we're rejoicing over that child. 
Right? Or you get a new job, and what are you talking about to everybody that you come in contact with? That job that you got. Why? Because you're rejoicing over that job. The things that you're rejoicing over, you think about and you talk about. You just naturally dwell on those things, and you speak of them to others. And the same is true with this kind of joy, that you would think on Jesus, and you would talk about Jesus throughout, the, throughout, throughout this season, but not just throughout the season, throughout the year. And as you think and talk about Jesus, one wave at a time crashes on the shore and begins to suck out the despair and begins to suck out the hopelessness and replace it with joy. Listen, during this season in particular, are you thinking and talking about Jesus? Are you, leading, are you rejoicing in him and leading others to do the same? So are you thinking and talking about Jesus more than your decorations and desserts? <laughs> right, there's a lot of talk about decorations and desserts this time of the year, isn't there? Right? And if you got some good desserts, let me know. I'll, I'll show up un, unannounced or uninvited <laughs> one night on your doorstep. Just to eat your dessert. That's supposed to be funny. Really no, got no laughter. So I'm just going to move forward. There's lots of talk about decorations and desserts this time of the year. But are you talking about Jesus more than what you hung up on your tree or on your home? Or what you've baked for the next party that you're going to attend? Are you thinking and talking more about Jesus and that creepy little elf who moves all around your home, right? Leaving notes that just kind of reinforce a works righteousness with all your kids, right? Because you got to be good if you want to get gifts. You got to do good things if you want to receive something, right? That creepy little elf. Are you thinking and talking more about him than about Jesus? Are you thinking and talking more about Jesus than what you're giving or what you're hoping to get. See, some of you right now, the only joy that you're finding in this season is what you're able to give to others because you just want to see that look on their face, but you're not rejoicing in what has been given to you by God. You're not looking up. You're just looking around. Are you thinking and talking more about what you have been given in Christ and what you're giving to others or hoping to receive from them? Are you thinking and talking more about Jesus than your possession of or longing for a spouse or a child? Some of you may be longing for a husband or longing for a wife. Or you may be longing for a child and you're rejoicing in the thought of having that. Are you thinking and talking more about Jesus than a husband or a wife, than a son or a daughter? Are you thinking and talking more about Jesus than who you're hoping to see or who you're trying to avoid? Because some of you got people on your list you're hoping to see this Christmas. Others you got people on your list you're hoping, you're trying to avoid this Christmas, right? Are you thinking and talking more about Jesus, the gift of God's Son, the Savior of the world, who has turned everything on its head, who defines your life here and there? Then about who you're hoping to see, that maybe they can come into town. Man, I really hope they can come into town. It's not bad to want to see family and friends. It might be bad to avoid them. <laughs> but are you thinking and talking more about who you want to see or who you're trying to avoid than you are about the gift of God's Son? Are you thinking and talking more about Jesus than how busy you are or how lonely you are? Both ends of that spectrum. Some of you, some of you talk nothing, like every conversation you have is about, man, I got this, and then I got to go here, and then I got to do that, and then I got these things, and I got the other, and I'm just so busy. You never really speak about Jesus. You just talk about your schedule. Are you, are you, you, 
you found yourself in despair because of your loneliness, not your busyness. Are you thinking about Jesus and talking about Jesus in the midst of that loneliness, in the midst of that busyness? Are you rejoicing in him? And leading others to rejoice in him? As you look with eyes of faith, that are so sure that what this child has come to bring will come to pass. You're looking back, yes, it has come to pass at the cross, but you're looking forward, it will come to pass when he returns on the white horse as a king, ready to rule, right? You're looking back and you're looking forward going, I've seen what's happened back here, and because of that, I'm so certain this is gonna happen out here that I'm living with this incredible joy today. Today. The only way you can live with that kind of joy, though, is to look back with eyes of faith and say, you know what? I've been proud. Maybe some of you need to say this this morning. I've been proud. I've trusted in my affluence. I've trusted in my aptitude. I've trusted in my ability. But maybe for the first time I've seen that those who think they're in are out. And I can't continue to trust in my affluence or my ability or my aptitude. I've got to lay that down. And I've got to look at who Jesus is and what he's done, and I've got to give myself over to him through trust and faith and believe that what he's done defines me, not what I'm able to do. That he was crucified for my sins and he was raised for my justification, as Paul says, that I might be right with God and have this joy that overflows into every facet and area of my life as I rejoice in him. I pray that when you leave today, that this morning would just be one of those waves lapping on the shore and it would begin to suck out the despair and replace it with joy. And that you wouldn't leave it here, but you would go home and you would think about, you would think about Jesus and talk about Jesus this week and next week and the next week and the next week. And you would find that slowly it's pulling out the despair and replacing it with joy. As you look at him with eyes of faith. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray this morning for myself and for my friends in the room. I pray that your word would either awaken joy within our hearts that has never been awakened or has long been dormant. Or that your word would amplify the joy that's already there. It would take that signal and it would boost it. So that we as your people would think and talk and think and talk and think and talk about Jesus Christ. That we would see with eyes of faith that what he has done defines us and not what we can do for ourselves. And that you have turned everything on its head through his birth. So that those of us who are prone to trust in ourselves and our own abilities would see that that table has been turned and that if we do that for the rest of our lives, we will ultimately find ourselves dismissed from the eternal presence of God. But if we will look to Christ, 
the one in whom Mary is rejoicing. With eyes of faith. To see that it's the humble and those who realize they don't have it all together who are welcomed in. That even with the calendar of failures in the past 12 months, we would still be able to rejoice. Because you have kept your word. And may, as we see you having kept your word in the past, may that create a rock-solid faith that you will keep your word in the future. And that all these truths will bubble over in our lives like waves of joy as we think and talk about Jesus. In whose name we pray, amen.